Hello and welcome to another episode of the Startup Operator Roundup. I am Roshan Karyapa and I'm Gunjan Saha and together we'll be breaking down the biggest headlines from India's growing startup ecosystem. In the 130th edition of the weekly roundup, we'll be talking about the India Alliance raising concerns over Meta and Google and the alleged role they play in promoting communal hatred and bias in the country. We'll also be talking about the rapid growth in AI and how that is causing a surge in GPU capacity. Mastercard CFO describes UPI an incredibly painful experience for the ecosystem raising questions about its efficiency. Then uh, Dreamsport's uh, venture arm which is called Dream Capital they are shutting down following the collapse of Rario which is a cricket NFT platform. Then we'll also be talking about Zerodha's Nikhil Kamath launching the WTF this is uh, what's the fund. Uh, this initiative is aimed to support young entrepreneurs who are below the age of 22 years. So a lot of exciting news stay tuned but before we begin if this is the first time you're tuning in to the startup operator do consider subscribing to the channel for regular updates we break down startup headlines we interview some amazing founders investors and operators from the ecosystem and well if you're a returning visitor do let us know how we are doing in the comment section below and rate and review this podcast on your favorite platform. So let's get started. Well, uh, Roshan, this has been an exciting week. Uh, firstly, of course, the ICC World Cup has begun and, well, India is off to a good start. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, well, there are some very concerning news with what's going yeah. on in Western Asia. So I'd like to get your thoughts. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a troubled time uh, in that part of the world for sure, right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, Hamas attacked Israel about uh, a week back and irrespective of which side of the political divide you are, uh, we can all agree that violence is abjectly bad. Um, and uh, yeah, very, very sad. I mean, uh, looking at some of the visuals on Twitter, etc. My timeline has entirely been hijacked by this news. Uh, I really hope there is a swift resolution of sorts. But although, I mean, this is an extremely, extremely complex issue. Uh, for those who are interested in some sort of a background on this, I would definitely urge you to check out this podcast by Martyr Made. Uh, on Spotify, a fantastic, fantastic seven-part series. In fact, I think it's the best podcast I've ever listened to. Gripping uh, uh, narration and storytelling on the Israel-Palestine issue. Uh, like I said, very, very complex, uh, difficult to um, really, you know, uh, sort of draw a, a clear line, black and white here on uh, either side, right? But uh, do check it out. Uh, fantastic podcast, and it uh, offers a lot of perspectives uh, from both sides, right? So uh, with that... Uh, well, I mean, the Cricket World Cup, I haven't even caught one match yet, <laughs> right? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's not so much of a buzz about this World Cup as uh, there was about, let's say, the 96 World Cup or even 2011 World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. Were you born in 96? Uh, thereabouts, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I, there, there wasn't too much of a buzz. But although, I mean, today, I think there's an India-Pakistan match. So, I'll yeah. definitely be catching that. So, yeah. Alright, so let's get started with the news of the week. The India National Development Inclusive Alliance or India is an alliance of 28 political parties in India that represent the combined opposition coalition. This group has written to Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai accusing their social media platforms for allegedly aiding communal hatred in the country and spreading bias towards the ruling party. These letters cite two articles by the Washington Post that expose how WhatsApp, Facebook and YouTube are used by the ruling party and its supporters to spread communal divisive propaganda 
and it also re- reveals the blatant partisanship of Facebook in their executives towards the ruling government. The letter demands that Meta and Google ensure that their platforms operating in India remain neutral and are not used to cause social unrest or distort India's democratic ideals, especially given that uh, uh, we have the elections coming up next year. So uh, this letter, actually this news kind of reminds me of the entire scandal with Cambridge Analytica, where um, the the Facebook platform was used to collect individual data and use this data to run directed campaigns that kind of brainwashed people into believing certain narratives, right? And um, now uh, this letter is kind of highlighting those concerns. So what do you make of that? Well, uh, Meta and Google are very powerful platforms, uh, right? And uh, definitely, you know, we should uh, regulate these platforms in terms of their uh, intent and rights and and whatnot, right? I mean, in fact, uh, last week, again, EU had uh, pulled up Elon Musk on uh, X's policy, right? And uh, it's sort of a veiled threat. I mean, not even so veiled also. I mean, it was a pretty direct threat saying that, you know, we will uh, sort of stop your platform if uh, you don't uh, uh, check all this... uh, uh, alleged, you know, uh, fake news and mishandling of certain things or whatever, right? Uh, and Elon, being Elon, had replied uh, <laughs> on the fashion. tweet on the tweet itself, asking for uh, you know what those uh, instances are. And obviously, I mean, he didn't get any reply, right? I mean, these platforms definitely in you know influence the news cycle for sure. Uh, they influence uh, people's opinions and perspectives. They're supremely powerful, uh, as the Cambridge Analytica uh, scandal also uh, showed us, right? Uh, but I feel like, you know, people have to verify before they believe. That's it, right? Uh, yeah, you get tons of WhatsApp forwards, you know, from, uh, you know, our national anthem being rated by UNESCO as the number <laughs> one uh, uh, national yes, anthem. Right. I, I'd love that if that were the case. Uh, that or, you know, some new fruit concoction that will supposedly cause, uh, mm-hmm. that will suppo- supposedly cure cancer. Right? I mean, you get all kinds of news, right? I mean, you have to... It's uh, it's like, you know, we're, we're back in the olden days, right? I mean, uh, there are all kinds of rumors. You have to kind of verify uh, based on the source and based on your own uh, common sense on what is true and what is not and act accordingly, really. It puts a greater responsibility on people. I don't know if we can just put that responsibility totally on platforms. However, I think platforms have to be 100% transparent, right? Which they are not. Because they've stopped being, you know, pipes and infrastructure and moved on to being publishers, right? Um, so so definitely, I mean, if you look at all of the stuff that happened on Twitter, for example, a year back or something when Elon took over Twitter, uh, right? I mean, they were willfully uh, doing things in favor of one particular establishment, right? right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, irrespective of which side of the political divide you are, I think this is something that everyone can get around, which is that you have to demand greater transparency from your platforms uh, and uh, be careful of them as well because they can be a significant uh, uh, influence on your uh, voting public for sure. Folks, do let us know what is your take on this opinion in the comments below. It'll be really interesting to hear some of your insights. So there was this very interesting article put out by Sequoia which says that for every $1 spent on GPU, roughly $1 needs to be spent on energy costs. If NVIDIA sells $50 billion in rounded GPU revenue by end of the year, that implies approximately $100 billion in data center expenditures. The end user of the GPU needs to earn 50% margin, meaning that for each year of current GPU capex, $200 billion of lifetime revenue would need to be generated to pay back the upfront capital investment. This is excluding the margins for cloud vendors. 
Now, what this is essentially trying to say that the computing power required to generate the output which is desirable is highly resource intensive and also takes a lot of time to build these systems. And unlike traditional SaaS, right, which kind of the profitability grows with the scale of business, the unit economics improves. AI, on the other hand, lacks that, right? For every AI computing that needs to go in, the same amount of resources is needed. So how do you see this scale? Like, for one, yes, of course, AI has a lot of benefits in today's society. But in the short term, who someone will need to foot the bill, right? So what do you make of that? Well, I mean, any new technology, that is the case, right? I mean, initially, the, you know, uh, the economics don't make sense. Uh, right. I mean, uh, you look at computing itself, right? I mean, the, the computing power your phone has uh, would have probably required buildings, uh, you know, uh, 40 years back, right, or even 30 years back, uh, right? But then you've seen that how the technology has become more commoditized and become cheaper, more efficient and more better and so on, right? Uh, similarly with AI as well, right? I mean, once use cases emerge, once it becomes a fairly co common consumer uh, appliance, right? And once everyone is using it, uh, accordingly, I think the scales and the revenues will adjust. That is my opinion, right? Um, and look, I mean, everyone understands that AI is the is the next frontier, uh, right? So, which is why I mean, you have massive investments from all of these folks, right? So much so that you know we spoke that Amazon is investing in chips and whatnot, right? Uh, right? So, so all of these folks want to own the future, uh, and to that end, investing in AI is a no-brainer for them. Um, right. I mean, see, if you look at how Google started, for instance, arguably, I mean, 25 years back, 30 years back, uh, maybe search was not the, you know, not the in thing for people to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the business model was not very uh, uh, transparent. Right. And uh, nobody knew how it would play out. But today, I mean, of course, Google owns the Internet. Right. Even even the CEO of Microsoft, you know, hearing he testifies that the first thing that people do after waking up is have a glass of water. Then they go brushing their teeth and then they perform a search on Google. <laughs> this is the CEO of Microsoft. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I suppose, I mean, we'll have to wait and watch. Yeah. yeah. But uh, companies nowadays, they are getting really creative with the pricing plans, right? For example, Microsoft and Google, they're charging a premium flat, a flat fee on a monthly basis to these users. Uh, Adobe has come up with a credit system, regardless of what tier membership you have, you get a certain allotted credits to run your uh, AI prompts. But consumers, on the other hand, are coming and not showing a liking towards that model as much, mm. right? Um, but one thing which I will, I mean, I kind of agree with is that we are now moving on from the whole excitement of AI and what it can do to actually using AI in a day-to-day -day stuff. But figuring out how exactly will end users be using it and how much are they willing to pay for it is something that will take a bit of time to... That's a work in progress. Raise. That's a work in progress. Right now, it's a shiny new toy. Uh, right, uh, and it's helpful in a certain case, uh, hmm. case, a certain number of cases, right? The utility of that will have to truly evolve, uh, right? I mean, in, in basic knowledge work and so on, right? right. Um, of course, I mean, you know, there are industries which it has sort of disrupted and, uh, you know, has order of uh, magnitude efficiencies already, right? I mean, uh, for you and me, I mean, we'll have to figure how that will uh, sort of translate. Right, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next bit of news. UPI is painful. <laughs> well, there's growing tensions um, between UPI and credit card or card giants in general. 
यूपीआई इज फैसिलिटेटिंग ओवर टेन बिलियन मंथली ट्रांजेक्शन एट जीरो कॉस्ट टू द मर्चेंट्स वेर एज कार्ड जैंट सच एज मास्टर कार्ड एंड वीजा चार्ज अ मर्चेंट फी फॉर कंज्यूमर ट्रांजेक्शन ना टूवर्ड्स दैट द सी एफ ऑफ मास्टर कार्ड हैज रेज कंसर्नस सेंग दैट यू पी आई इकनॉमिक मॉडल इज इनक्रेडिबली पेनफुल एक्सपीरियंस फॉर इको सिस्टम पार्टिसिपेंट्स हु लूज मनी ऑन दोज ट्रांजेक्शन ही हैज ऑल्सो गॉन ऑन टू क्वेश्चन द लॉन्ग टर्म सस्टेनेबिलिटी ऑफ यू पी आई एंड इट्स इम्पैक्ट ऑन डेबिट एंड क्रेडिट कार्ड्स एज यू कैन सी इन दिस ग्राफ यू पी आई बेली हेल्ड अ वन परसेंट मार्केट शेयर एंड ट्वेंट एफ आई टू move fast forward to fi 23 upi has close to 60% market share now of course this will be a cause of concern for the card players like mastercard and visa but in india it's not only upi they're also kind of raising concerns over rupee of course <laughs> right <laughs> they're saying the rise of uh, such homegrown networks which has zero merchant discount rate and offers fees features such as offline payment contactless cards is kind of really giving them tough nights i would say so what do you make of that yeah <laughs> it's funny right i mean it's socialism for me and capitalism for my competitors in some way right i mean that's how they kind of think i mean these guys went and uh, uh, cried to the us government also a few years back uh, saying that the indian government is you know not very uh, i mean violating free market uh, <laughs> principles and what not right look i mean the upi is uh, once in a generation innovation right we spoken plenty about it uh, and post demonetization post covid i mean it is it has grown to be the primary mode of payment uh, online for uh, people right uh, and it is uh, amazing value for all of the users for sure right but someone has to foot the cost you know we talked about how upi may start charging transaction fee for a certain amount afterwards mm-hmm. um right and uh, we made the case that yes i mean it has to be uh, ch- uh, chargeable at some point of time for a certain level of transactions right because someone has to foot the cost of processing has to foot the cost of infrastructure and so on and so forth which there is yeah. even if it's uh, you know maybe a thousand crores or thereabouts someone this has to pay that right i mean of the total transaction correct, volume right well. uh, right now i mean the npci is uh, sort of taking care of that and npci is basically like a union of all of the uh, banks right um a non profit at that right so someone will have to foot that and i feel like you know it is a utility that is beneficial enough that the government itself should look at it as an investment right because what has upi done for us today upi has made the indian internet monetizable right which means oh. that anyone anywhere can transact right and not just share you know information, information and so on and so forth right uh, and that is phenomenal it has also made our economy more formal as well right now once you accept a digital payment there is no hiding from the you know from the taxman so to speak <laughs> right um no so, wonder we are seeing the gst councils get so active lately yeah i mean gst <laughs> the numbers have been picking up uh, you know month on month right collections have gone up uh, every every quarter so obviously is a great thing and uh, the mastercard and visa folks uh, their model is severely hit right i mean they're mm-hmm. down to you know i don't know what the percentage of credit and debit uh, cards uh, are specifically right now but i i would i would hazard a guess and say that maybe like two thirds of their transactions are hit right half or like two thirds of more their transactions more than transa- half actually more than half right yeah so that was a good guess <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean obviously they'll cry, cry about it you know because uh, this is uh, such a uh i mean it's a disruption in their industry for sure mm. right 
so yeah i mean they will uh, let them cry about it it's okay uh, you know we'll figure a way to uh, uh, run this right and even if the governments don't invest in it or whatever i, I think look at the other positive spin off for the bank itself right i mean they don't have to uh, you know build and run atms right i mean certainly you know it will reduce atm expenses right. it'll reduce your cash deposit expenses right you look at business owners who had to de- deposit cash at the end of the day and so on i mean all of those processing uh, mm, expenses right. human resource expenses and so on right and importantly i mean it also will provide transaction history for people to sort of uh, you know offer lending and and so on right i mean right. you're talking about uh, upi 2.0 and stuff which will be more amenable for that so i i think it's uh, overwhelmingly good right uh, and whatever cost is i mean i think definitely we can you know we can bear that the, either the government can pick it up or i mean you can make it um, you know um, tra- you can have a transaction fee for a certain uh, barrier right and people be happy to pay i think yeah yeah well uh, this kind of reminds me of what jio did to the telecom industry right when jio started offering free sim cards and subsidized pricing plans um well atel vodafone idea all of these companies faced a lot of issues so maybe mastercard and visa can take a playbook from the atel uh, on how they managed it so jio is a private player so there i mean i would have some reservations but even if you look at jio right what they've done is made the indian internet the fastest most efficient and the cheapest right right and today we have 600 million plus internet users all thanks to the jio uh, you know revolution right was it completely like you know free market uh, and fair and what not i mean that is debatable right but they've caused the market to shift and in countries like india we we need those industry houses like you know the large guys ambani's adani's and the uh, and so on to invest in new technology right because nobody else is going to do that right unless it reaches a certain maturity and it's profitable enough to invest and no one else is going to do that so who's going to do that and if you look at uh, you know more modern economies developed economies like korea japan and all of them even they have their own zaibetsu's uh, uh, and kairetsu's and so on right i mean korea famously the samsung family owns like i don't know 40 or 50% of yeah. their uh, uh, entire uh, economy right GDP. and similarly in uh, japan you have uh, sumitomo you have uh, yamaha toyota and all of that right so we will need all of these people to put in money in greenfield ventures uh, right look at look at you know speaking of greenfield look at green energy for instance right um, adani and ambani are big investments yeah. uh, in in these uh, ventures right i mean you you won't have the your neighborhood hni guy go and put some cash to see what will happen right so like with most things the answer is complex and in the short term you have to tolerate some of these things with necessary guardrails that you know it doesn't benefit one person at the cost of the consumers i would say well so it has been a few busy weeks at dream 11 for sure firstly they were hit with the retrospective gst taxes now that discussion is still going on um then last week we discussed how um, you know they were coming up with creative ways so that customers did not have to bear the cost of gst taxes on the money they upload and last week dream 11 announced that its self funded corporate venture arm called dream sports um they are marking the end of their experiment and this corpus was the size of 250 million dollars wow right uh and this corpus did give rise to some notable companies like rario like fitter and in even 2021 interview harsh jain who is a co-founder and ceo of dream 11 said that the company wanted to redeploy its ebitda into inorganic growth businesses 
and kind of built an entire ecosystem for the gaming industry. However, they decided to shut this down primarily because of the retrospective tax demand of 25,000 crores and navigating the entire new 28% GST levy. And secondly, which I think is a more bigger reason, is that Radio did not perform as expected. Radio is a cricket non-fungible token platform. Uh, they raised $120 million in 2022 April. This company is facing its own legal challenge. The Delhi High Court ruling has invalidated the rights it had acquired from cricket and cricketing associations for minting these NFTs. And um, this, in return, had some trickle-down effects. So what's next is that Radio's new CEO, Mr. Priyesh Karya, and his team are busy renegotiating these license deals. And Dream Sports is planning to set up an internal committee to figure out what are the next strategic opportunities for them. Well, Roshan, if you were handling Dream 11, how would, what would be going on in your mind right now? No, see, the venture arm is a bit of a luxury, right? I mean, given everything that's happened to the core business right now, so I'm not surprised that they decided to shut it down. But also, I mean, on a tangent, investing is really, really hard, right? Venture capital investing is extremely hard. Uh, I know, you know, we have that survivorship uh, bias and we look at, uh, you know, uh, the success stories and we think, man, I mean, it must be so easy to kind of make this kind of multiple, right? 10x, 20x, 100x or whatever it is. It's extremely, extremely hard, right? It's a business of tales, uh, which means that, you know, you you get maybe like one out of 10, 15 of yeah. these that uh, really hit it out of the park uh, and you really need them to hit it out of the park, right? Uh, so it's not as simple as, okay, you know, I have a bunch of money, I'm going to start investing in anything that sounds interesting, right? Investing is extremely hard. Um, shout out to all the VCs, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, people give them shit for uh, all kinds of reasons, but I think it's a very hard business. Yeah. Really, really hard business yeah. to run, right? For sure. Um, these guys invested $100 million in Rario, apparently. Yeah, $120 right? million. Dollars. Wow, that's an insane amount of cash. Uh, you know, I mean, the premise of Rario was uh, uh, was interesting to say the yeah, it least, was right? I mean, curating um, cricket NFTs. Cricket NFTs. Uh, so you could yeah. buy perhaps uh, Kapil Dev's catch, you know, of Vivian Richards in the 1983 World Cup or Dhoni's six in uh, the 2011 World Cup finals, uh, uh, right? Or Sachin getting to his hundredth uh, century and so on and so forth. Uh, right. I mean, interesting, for sure. Interesting. And it's another revenue channel for uh, cricketers also. Uh, in fact, I mean, ICC itself auctioned off the NFT rights for the World Cup at about 60 plus million dollars, yeah. um, apparently. Right. So in India, what we've seen is with crypto, there has been a, you know, sort of a ambiguity on the policy front. Uh, right. And once the GST um, taxes uh, came in on the crypto um, uh, crypto space, I mean, it, make it made a lot of crypto investments unviable anyway, right? Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, none of these uh, folks have performed really well. Uh, and plus there are some legal cases and so on and so forth, right? And so as a result of that, uh, you've seen uh, Rario not perform reasonably well, right? Uh, I mean, not perform well at all. By the way, we had uh, interviewed uh, Sonali of Fitter, the co-founder, on the podcast some time back. Uh, do check out... Uh, uh, the episode, uh, it was very interesting on, you know, how you can build a community and so on. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not uh, not very surprised that they shut down the venture arm. I think they have more pressing uh, troubles mm -hmm. to manage. Yeah. Well, but that doesn't mean that, you know, venture capital companies are doing badly. Mm -hmm. uh, because last week, Nikhil Kamath launched the WTF fund, 
This WTF stands for What the Fund, right? Interesting. Um, this is an initiative by Nikhil Kamath, and he aims to back young entrepreneurs who are under twenty-two years and have innovative ideas in the home, fashion, beauty, or lifestyle sectors. This fund draws its inspiration from Zepto, which is a startup fund by two eighteen-year-olds. They are able to kickstart the venture from a grant of forty lakhs, and now today I think they're they're a unicorn. Mm. Then this fund, this WTF fund, also has big names backing it. Apart from Nikhil Kamath, uh, there is Anant Narayanan, who is the founder of Mensa Brands. There is Raj Shamani. There is Kishore Biani, who is the founder of Future Group. And it's not just about the money, but it's also the experience that these guys bring in for these young entrepreneurs, right? And we um, will be exciting to see what these build up because right now content as a business, mm. I mean that is taking off. And um, again, like this is another space we have just seen like what two three years of that happening. So we really do not know what kind of form or shape it may take up. How would you place your bets in this? I think it's extremely smart, uh, right? I mean, he's built his own content platform, and uh, they have uh, decent distribution as well, uh, right? Uh, so I've been following his uh, WTF uh, series. You know, I have caught uh, two or three episodes, and it's amazing. Uh, he's a great host. I can tell for sure. Uh, right, and he's got very interesting guests. Uh, uh, amazing to listen to Kishore Biyani, an old hand in retail, uh, and a man who knows India's consumption like at the back of his uh, hand. Right, and then of course Mensa. Um, uh, you know, Anant of Mensa is uh, very very knowledgeable, and Raj as well. Right, I mean he's a digital creator, uh, one of the top guys uh, around. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, he's got a certain audience and, uh, you know, he wants to sort of uh, uh, offer capital to sort of fund uh, some of these ideas, right? And and age is no barrier, you know? I mean, no. so, Gunjan, you could start a business tomorrow. So, <laughs> apply to the WTF fund. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some other headlines from the week. Truecaller has acquired India-based Unradio Technologies Private Limited. This company provides a service called Trust Checker, which is a SaaS platform that helps businesses verify customer information and detect risk of fraud based on phone numbers and other digital signals. Insurance Zeko announced that it has raised $60 million in a mix of equity and debt in an ongoing Series B fundraise round. This was led by Mitsubishi UFG Financial Group and just comes months after they raised $150 million in Series A. Then you have Onshority, which is an insurtech startup. They announced that they have raised $24 million in a Series B funding down, which was led by International Finance Corporation and existing ventures such as Nexus Venture Partners and Qona Capital. We also have Agri-Fintech partner Kiwi, which stands for Kisan Vikas. Uh, they raised 15 crore rupees in a seed fund round, which is led by Caspian Leap for Agriculture Fund, Piper Sireka Angel Fund, Yan Angel Fund and other entrepreneurs, foundations, and the rest. Now, what's interesting about this is that this is this agritech startup is incubated in IIT Madras. Hmm. So um, he did, uh, you know, earlier joke about that there's something special about the water in IIT Madras, but and it's good that you know we're yeah. having such startups come out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, from Zetwork to you know the agritech. Uh, Kisan Vikas. Yeah, Kisan Vikas. Kiwi. Kiwi. <laughs> So for the talk of the town section, I want to discuss, Roshan, your tweet. Uh, you wrote that in the early days, titles don't matter. People do what they have to do anyway. As you scale, however, title defines work. Important to be careful. Yeah. What did you mean by this? 
uh i mean i, I at the risk of repeating whatever i wrote right in the early days the titles don't matter because see how a bunch of people in the room people do whatever the hell they have to do right i mean no one's worried about uh, hey i am going to be your performance marketing guy and someone else is going to be an events guy and someone else is going to be some support and someone else is going to be sales or whatever right i mean we've had uh, you know 200 plus founders on the podcast all of them have done everything from support to admin to hr to finance to sales to whatever product they were building right uh, so in the early days that same ethos of the founder seeps through to the rest of the team when you're 30 40 50 people right but then soon after that right i mean once work streams start getting defined you have to be careful about you know jobs and titles for sure because it kind of sets the person in motion in terms of what what is expected out of them and notice also that this is when you start hiring more experienced people from the outside right now they're not going to come and like you know straight away get into that 50 member ethos right you're not 50 members anymore right you're perhaps 100 150 maybe like 500 people strong right they're going to take those t- titles damn seriously right uh and whatever you call them that is what they will end up doing right and mm-hmm. then you can't be surprised at the end that hey you know what that's actually not what i meant you know i mean i i you should have solved like some other problems and what not but you know enough to say that you know there are certain things you you have to start taking more seriously as you scale as a startup uh one of them is titles uh there are probably half a dozen other things or maybe two dozen other things but one of them is titles you have to be very careful about what you call people um as you scale for sure yeah. some good food for thought yeah all right folks so that is it for the 130th edition of the weekly roundup wait, we wait. hope aren't you forgetting something what the event oh right yes <laughs> uh folks uh, last time we all met in person uh, in kormangla social the event was a massive massive hit uh we really enjoyed that you liked the event and we want to bring more such events to you and that's why we are excited to announce that on november 9th uh we'll be doing the second edition of the startup operator live we'll be continuing with the theme this time as well do more with less which will be a masterclass on building sustainable businesses uh we already have received one confirmation from our speaker which is um, sumit of dukan uh we hope you enjoyed his episode which you put out recently and i think most speakers are we yeah. still yet to finalize so i'm talking to a couple of folks uh, as well uh, and uh, hopefully we should have a confirmation soon but yeah two fantastic speakers fantastic content and a wonderful community uh, so if you guys missed the previous event uh, do show up for this one on november 9th thursday on uh, yeah uh, yep perhaps on a on a dry evening not on not, a dry not, evening with not a rainy one with lots of traffic <laughs> and what not but uh, can't speak for the traffic though yeah <laughs> we are still finalizing uh, rest of the details for the event but to know more about it do follow us on social media you'll find the social media handles on your screen right now uh, if you want updates to be delivered straight into your whatsapp inbox click on the whatsapp link in the description like share this video with folks you think will enjoy the show and if this is the first time you're tuning in do subscribe to the channel as we bring you exciting updates from india's growing startup ecosystem we'll be back again with more exciting news next week until then take care and have a great week ahead see you guys cheers